The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. This is the beginning of the famous monologue from Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, Act 4. Shakespeare is suggesting that it costs us nothing to show mercy to others, and in fact, doing so makes life livable for everyone concerned. Mercy and forgiveness are the twin themes that pervade much of Shakespeare's works, and that is probably because he lived at a time of social and political upheaval uh, and religious intolerance, a time not unlike our own, where the quality of mercy grows more and more strained because it is considered a sign of weakness. In the lectionary cycle this year of Luke, as it happens, mercy is one of his favorite themes, and this is why the gospel is traditionally called the gospel of mercy. Since the middle of July, we've been listening to a cluster of parables, all unique to St. Luke, that reveal God's merciful rule over men and women in the coming of Christ, often revealed in surprising ways, like the parable of the prodigal son, just to give one example. And while this Sunday's gospel is not a parable, it is the story of someone who is also surprised by mercy. There's something charming about the story of Zacchaeus, the respectful, even gentle way that Jesus calls him down from his perch in the sycamore tree, throws into greater relief the fact that within 10 days, give or take, uh, Christ himself will be hanging on the wood of a tree and a crowd standing around will be calling him to come down to prove that he's the Messiah. All that's still about four chapters away, though the present is pregnant with the future. Luke mentions that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. It is a, um, a not-too-loaded way of suggesting that Zacchaeus is filthy rich. The adjective is deliberate. He's filthy rich because he's not made his money in an honorable way. He did it by extorting it from his countrymen as an agent of imperial Rome. One of the more galling aspects of Roman rule over their subject peoples was that they made the people they conquered pay for the cost of their own oppression. In Judea, every man had to pay 1% of his annual income tax, but that wasn't all for those of you who are in a much higher tax bracket. There were also import and export taxes, crop taxes, one-tenth of the grain crop, one-fifth of the wine, fruit, and olive oil. Sales tax, yes, they had sales tax too. Property tax, emergency tax, and on and on. The rights to collect these taxes was sold by the Romans to the highest bidder. It was a system guaranteed to make tax collectors friendless. And for all his wealth, Zacchaeus had two problems. Not only does everyone hate him because he's a tax collector, they also mock him for being vertically challenged. Zacchaeus, then, is twice out of luck. The crowd won't let him stand in front because he's a traitor, and his short stature makes it impossible for him to see anything from the back. So he climbs a sycamore tree to better to see the Lord Jesus pass by.
Now, there's nothing in the story that suggests he has any intention of introducing himself to this Galilean rabbi. In any event, no rabbi would risk his reputation to acknowledge him in public or in private. Tax collectors were not merely social pariahs, they were religious outcasts as well. And that is because they had to handle coins marked with the image of the emperor. So it's unlikely that a rabbi would want to be seen in his company. And for his part, Zacchaeus must have had diminished expectations about meeting Jesus, though clearly he is intrigued. It may be that he has heard that Jesus befriends people like himself, and he wants to get a good view just in case there is some action from the pro or anti-Jesus factions. But instead of watching from the sidelines, Zacchaeus becomes the central player in the drama of salvation when Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. If he's flattered by the attention, we cannot say. The crowd is clearly appalled. Once upon a time, uh, I lived in Brazil and spent a number of months in the north of that country in one of the major tributaries of the Amazon. The river was called the Tocantinas. One of the difficult things about living in the tropics, aside from poisonous snakes and flesh-eating piranha, is the uh, general lack of privacy and personal space. Eating a meal is like participating in street theater because people come and watch you eat. There could be half a dozen people or more standing outside the windows, leaning through the doors, watching and listening to everything going on. And this is what happens in places where you can't get good television reception. It's also slightly unnerving. This is the likely scenario for what happens during Zacchaeus' impromptu dinner party. As Jesus eats dinner, there is a crowd of the curious and no doubt hostile people standing outside observing the goings-on. So when Zacchaeus stands up and gives his little brief after-dinner speech, he is not merely addressing Jesus, but also, most likely, the onlookers. If I have defrauded anyone, I will make it up four times over. The if here, I think, hints that Zacchaeus has something of a sense of humor. Uh, There's no other way for him to get rich than by fraud. So Jaws must have dropped in Jericho that night. I'll be willing to bet you, though, that Jaws will not be dropping today in churches all over this country as the gospel is proclaimed. What possible significance can the reconciliation of a first-century Jewish tax collector be for us who, by a quirk of fate, must live 2,000 years removed from that event? This is one of the great challenges of faith in the 21st century, that We too easily feel ourselves standing at the window looking in at the party, not ready to participate in it because we don't feel as though we're a part of it. We're born too late, really. It's as though salvation is played out in front of us like pay-per-view TV. If this is so for you, then consider the following. Earlier this summer, we heard Luke's parable of the prodigal son that I mentioned at the beginning. This Sunday, we see the parable in action, the part of the prodigal is played by Zacchaeus, 
the Lord Jesus appears in the role of the merciful father, and the part of the elder son is played by the crowd who murmur their disapproval that he's gone to eat at the house of a sinner. In both the parable and today's passage, we see unearned mercy and forgiveness for sinners at its deepest and most personal level. God does not merely bestow mercy on the unrighteous. He squanders it liberally and unexpectedly. The gospel also teaches that forgiveness never comes as some kind of a random act. God doesn't pronounce forgiveness from afar as though he were afraid to get close to the source of the contagion. God acts in and through a community, and that community is gathered here in this space and in this time and in a thousand other places where Eucharist is being celebrated today. Practically speaking, this means that we are, each of us in our own unique ways, experts at the art of sinning. Admitting this is the first act in our own personal drama of salvation, because only then can the story of Zacchaeus really come alive in our own hearing. It also means that we risk hearing Jesus say to us, I have come to eat in your house today.